Good morning. Good morning. Hey, what a lovely looking bunch you are. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are looking wonderful today. Okay, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Psalms. As Natalie said, my name's Alid. I'm one of the members here at King's and part of the leadership team. And it's my privilege today to open up and explore uh, the Word of God with you today. Just think about that for a minute. It is a privilege, isn't it, to have this book? Do you think so? It's a privilege. The very pages in this book reveal the character, the nature, the promises, the power and the authority of God in our lives. It's almost as though God's breath is breathed on every single page in this book. And we get this morning to explore that and what that means for us. And the reason I say that is because this morning we're going to be looking at probably one of the most familiar passages in the whole Bible. You might be here this morning, you don't regularly go to church, you don't necessarily read the Bible. I guarantee there'll be phrases, there'll be segments of this passage we read this morning that will be familiar to you. All right, you'll hear them in films, you'll hear them in music, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And I've been looking at Psalm 23 over the, uh, over the past several weeks, maybe actually several months. And I feel it's one of those passages that's almost like pure oxygen. You know what I mean? You kind of read it and it just does your soul good. You know, the Lord, he's gonna be, I'm going to be dwelt with him in all eternity. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy follows me. There are just so many things in there. And I find that it does me good to remind myself of who it is that I'm believing in, who it is that I'm following and what his nature is like, what he is like. And I feel that this morning it's quite a timely word actually for us as a church, Um, not just because we're in the middle of a trending series, which we're having a break from this morning, but we've been tackling some pretty tough subjects, haven't we? They've been quite challenging. Uh, They've actually, it's, it's, it's meant we've had to kind of make a call on our lives and we've had to make some sacrifices when we've heard the word of God and we've said, man, I'm not quite sure whether my thinking or my behavior or my attitudes fit in with some of these key areas of our lives. So I feel that what I want to do this morning is bring something which will bring a real sense of depth of joy and peace in our hearts. But also, um, I feel as one of the pastors here, um, over the past several months, I've spoken to so many people that through life situations, whether it be ill health, whether it be a house situation or relationships, somehow, sometimes, I find that it's so easy that our eyes can get drawn away from God and our situations and we can be robbed of the peace that God has so readily available for us. So that's two reasons why I really want to uh, kind of go with this passage this morning. So we're actually going to start by breathing in some pure oxygen. Is that all right? We're actually going to read this passage together. And as we read it, I want you to make this your own. I want you to read those words out as though these are your words. This is your song to God. And we're going to declare these words out together. Is that okay? And then we'll unpack them and then I'll just explain what some of them uh, mean. Okay, so let's read it out together. So if Laura, if you could put the first slide up. And we'll read this out together. Okay, let's go for it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Hallelujah. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod 
and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Pure oxygen, eh? Isn't that good? So good. This is actually a song that was written by a man, a King David, uh, that we read about in the Old Testament. Uh, King David was a great king. Right, he was actually a mighty warrior. Uh, fought many battles, did incredible stuff. He, it says in the Bible that he was a king. He was a man after God's own heart. And actually, as he loved Jesus, actually, his call on the nation of Israel is that they would love God and follow him. And they received as a nation God's blessing. He was a good king. But we need to remember that David here is writing out of real personal experience. And I say that because he understands the imagery of shepherd and sheep, not just because he gets taxes from shepherds, but because he used to be one. He used to be one. And this is, uh, you know, his, his first part of his life, if you like, were dedicated to tending to his father's flocks in the valleys and in the pastures. So I just want you to think, as we study this passage, it's almost as though David is in his royal palace, in his royal study, looking out of the window, and he's got his guitar in his hands, because he's a worship leader, and he's going to do some songwriting. And he's looking out the window, and he's looking in the yonder, he's looking at the hills and the hill country, and he's reminding himself what it was like back in the day when he was living out there in the pasture land. And he's thinking about how he, as a shepherd boy, lived with those sheep, how he would have walked beside those sheep, how he would have slept beside those sheep, day in, day out, year after year. His role would have been to protect them from wild animals like bears and lions. He would have had to have guided them, provide for them, rescue them, even at times be their physician. He was their everything. And he's thinking about these days, and he suddenly thinks, Crumbs, that's what God is like for me, isn't it? That's what God is like to me. He protects me. He's my provider. He guides me. He's my my physician. And he starts his song with one of the most outrageous claims, which is the God, the creator God of all the universe, the most almighty being that ever was and ever will be, is my personal shepherd. That's outrageous, isn't it? What a crazy statement. Everything he had been to those sheep and the full dependency that those sheep had on him, he says, God, you are all of those things to me and more. That's what he's saying. The Lord is my shepherd. And because God is his shepherd, he declares the following thing, I lack no good thing, all right, or I shall not want. And it's, it's not... I best not want elsewhere because God's my shepherd and I don't want to upset him. It's this. If God is my shepherd, what could anyone else offer me or anything else offer me which is anything compared to him? The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing that anyone else can offer when I have him. He is my everything. My soul is well in him. I just want you to imagine, he writes this song and about two weeks later, he kind of goes to uh, kind of the courtyards and he meets up with his friends because he started up a new folk band. 
And uh, he's there in his kind of skin-tight jeans and his slacks, and he's there with his guitar. And the guys are waiting, and he says, guys, I've, I'm so excited. I've written a new song a couple of weeks ago. And they're like, that's brilliant. Let's have a go. Let's put some music to it. And he says, I, um, it's all about how God is my shepherd. I was, I was thinking back to the days when I was with the, the sheep, and I was thinking, man, just the way that they were dependent on me, that's like I am with God. And, and they're saying, that's brilliant. I love that. And then he says, uh, and then the song goes on a bit, and it's about how my cup overflows and I lack no good things. And you could just imagine their faces turning and thinking, but David, are you not just taking that a little bit too far? I mean, we we know the struggles you have. We know the temptations. We know there are enemies out there. What about all those nagging wives? We know it's not... What do you mean your cup overflows? What do you mean you lack no good thing? And I say that because of this. I think there is a real risk that even this morning you could have read that with your voice, yet in your heart you don't believe it because you don't understand what it is that David is saying. When in your life situation and all the things that are going on around you say, I don't know if I can say I lack no good thing because of my life situation, because of, what, of, because of what's going on. This is something a Spurgeon said. He says, I have all things and abound." Not because I have a good store of money in the bank, not because I have skill and wit with which to win my bread, but because the Lord is my shepherd. Your currency, if you're a Christian, is your shepherd. Your bread, as a Christian, is the shepherd. For what other things would you want? You see, Jesus said some parables, some stories, and he said it's like someone who finds a pearl of great price. Or they find a field and there's a treasure. And what they'll do, they would even go away and sell and get rid of everything they have in order that they might get the one thing, the pearl of great price. And I think that's the same as what David is saying here. The shepherd is worth everything. David understands that everything else pales into insignificance compared to the richness, the wholeness And the satisfaction of having God as his shepherd, this almighty living God, as the Lord of his life. And you know what, that's what we're going to see a little bit later on. People, they're going to go into the pool, but when they go down, they're going to say, Jesus is now the Lord of my life. And I want for no other thing. Because I've searched there, I've looked there, I've dabbled in this, that and the other, and now I've found the one true hope where I can say, nothing compares to knowing the shepherd. To knowing the shepherd. And you know, I've, I've met many Christians who have lacked money, have actually in real states of poverty. I've had the privilege three times of even going to India. And so I've met some poor people. Yet week in, week out, in their difficult situations, they gather with a zeal and a passion and excitement to worship Jesus in a way which often puts me to shame. Because they understand that it's not about wealth and finance, it's about the wealth of the shepherd and what he has for us. They understand something. And I know many Christians who have ill health, even people in this room, long-term ill health conditions, life-changing conditions. And uh, I've even known people that have had terminal diagnosis with cancer and things like that. Yet in their heart, they're able to say, I lack no good thing. Why? In fact, there's even a a friend in here, a member of us in here this morning, who's even going through that over the last several months, being diagnosed with cancer, he's walking through chemotherapy. Yet, if you were to ask him, how are you, 
He'll say, my soul is well. My soul is well. There's that song, isn't there? Praise the Lord, O my soul, cry out, for in you my soul is well. And I think what they understand is, is that actually our position, our identity, our significance, our inheritance, even, even our eternal glory in death itself is not bound up in earthly things, but in a greater spiritual reality, which is God is our shepherd and he's here to save and redeem the lost. It's incredible. So what does David say about the shepherds? Well, just a few things, and these are kind of just broad uh, kind of brushstrokes, but I want to try and go in a few bits of detail that I think if you were to read it, you might miss them. So the first kind of section that we see is that he's the God who restores. He restores Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. In one commentary, Alan Palmer says this. He says, in our lives, which are so often filled with stress and fatigue, sometimes we have to ignore the hurry-up culture and allow God to make us lie down and rest for a while. We heard it last week, didn't we, with Andrew and his talk on busyness. It was challenging, wasn't it? I think, man, how, how often do I actually allow God to just still my heart and bring me to a place of rest? Because, you know, God's intention for us isn't to lead busy, stressful, and self-reliant lives. Actually, you are designed, believe it or not, you are designed to require to feed and to rest and find your satisfaction in him. Not on you. And we need to remember that the same shepherd who left the 99 sheep to come and find you is the same shepherd that sustains you day in, day out, day in, day out on your walk with God. He doesn't just save you and leave you to your own devices. Actually, he is the person who day by day can restore and bring life back where trouble and fear has stepped in. It's the shepherd. I love this. uh, Kidna says this. He says, God would not have taken on a flock or a family, if he had not intended that he and they should be bound up with one another. What a beautiful thought. Do you know what? God hasn't got a plan B. He's in this for the long haul. His intention isn't just to rescue you. His intention is to adopt you into a family and to be united with you. It's incredible. And often in this passage, you know, he restores my soul. My soul actually refers to my life or myself. It's talking about the whole you. It's not just talking about the physical you. It's talking about the emotional and the mental you. You as a being can find sustenance. You can find restoration in Christ alone. And we've got to understand that most of the time in our culture, we're being drawn further and further and further away from rest and closer and closer towards a place of self-reliance busy, preoccupied lives. But the Bible says, and this passage says, it's only in God that you will find rest. It is only in God. It doesn't matter if you get all of those ticks done on your to-do list. It doesn't matter if you manage to achieve this, that, or the other, or get a certain level of wealth. It is only in the shepherd, it is only in God that you'll be able to find restoration for your soul. That's what it says. When the soul grows sorrowful, he revives it. When it is sinful, he sanctifies it. When it is weak, he strengthens it. He does it. That's what J.R. Packer says. So that's the first thing, he restores. The second thing we pick up in this passage is that he guides us. 
He's a guide. And this is probably the area that we know this passage for so well. He's my shepherd. He guides me. He'll always be ahead of me. He'll always let me know the way to go. It says in verse 3, He leads me in paths of righteousness, interestingly, for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For why? For you are with me. Your rods and the staff, they comfort me. Do you know, when we allow God to lead us, he leads us with purpose. Did you know that? It's good to know that God is actually leading us somewhere. Do you know where that is? It's to righteousness. He he leads us in paths of righteousness, holiness. In fact, I'd like to say he makes us not just more like him, but more like us or how we were designed to be. It's interesting, isn't it? That the more we actually come obedient to Christ and walk in his steps, the more we're becoming how I was meant to design to be. I'm becoming more and more me. So here's a couple of things that I find interesting. God gets glory when we display the characteristics of the Father. When we walk in these paths of righteousness, it says he gets glory for his name's sake. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, me and my wife... We went to our very first parents' evening as parents of a child who's in school. And I'm, as a teaching background, I'm used to being on the other side of the table. So you know the questions to ask. But I'll tell you what, she has done us proud. She's made us look good. She has. She's made us look good. They're like, wow, we can see that she's got a really great... We, see, we can tell that you're reading with her home. She's so well behaved. She's learning so well. Look at all that she's done. She's made us look good. And do you know what? It's exactly the same with you and God. When you start imitating the Father, when, you, when your behavior starts coming in line with Christ, you give him glory and you make him look good. That's what we do. We make him look good because it's for his glory. It's for his name's sake. And the second thing I notice in that section is God guides us through the valley of the shadow of death. Let me just say that again. God guides us through the dark valleys. Well, that's interesting. Because I think so often we see trials and dark times as the complete opposite of where God would want us to be. When actually David here takes comfort in knowing that even in the darkest of places, the shepherd is there to guide and to protect and preserve him. God leads them through the darkest of places. And he says, I, I need not fear because he is with me. He is with me. When I'm in the darkest of places, when it seems that I'm all alone, when life would call for me to fear and turn around, even in the view of death itself, David knows, but he's with me. He is with me. His rod and staff, they comfort me. I know that he goes before I don't know everyone's situation in here. I'm privileged to be one of the pastors here, so I know lots of situations, but not all of you. Do you know what God knows? God knows the depths of your heart. He knows how you're hurting. He knows what your concerns are. But what I do know is that if you believe in Jesus here today, if he is your shepherd, he will never leave you or forsake you. He is with you in the darkest of valleys. I just feel very prompted now. I just want to pray. For anyone here who feels like they're in that darkest valley. Why don't we just quickly close our eyes?
If you identify with that this morning, if you think, God, Alid, if only you knew my situation. I just want to pray for God's peace right now. God, I want to thank you that you're here. And Lord, I, I don't know many of what's going on in my friends' lives, but I know that you know. And I know that you're a good shepherd. I know that you love to tend to your flock. And Lord, although we don't understand sometimes how we've got to the situation we're in, or we don't know why these things are happening, we want to align our thinking with the truth this morning that you are with us. We are not alone. And I pray this morning, would you come and bring your rest and your peace and your comfort in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. We would love to pray for you later on. If you feel that's you, that's not a problem at all. Okay, so he guides. The third kind of category, if you like, that I find from this passage, he restores, he guides, but also there's a blessing. He blesses us. So the imagery of shepherd actually is replaced by that of a host at a banquet. All right, so we read things like, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, I don't know what you think that means or what you think David is actually writing about, but let me just give you a couple of contextual things that might help you understand what this passage actually means. Because I think it's really interesting that David not only combats fear with the promises of God, he actually goes one step further. He uses those truths to celebrate a victory over them. All right, now there's two completely different things. All right, he doesn't just seek comfort in the promise, he uses that promise to say, actually, Jesus has victory over that fear, over that death, over all these situations. Our enemies, our sicknesses, our darkest of days, even death itself, has been proven powerless to stop God from blessing you. Do you know that? Even death itself has been proven powerless for God to come and redeem and save the lost. Powerless. Whatever your situation, however powerful or depressing or awful it seems, the Bible says none of that is going to be able to stop God from revealing his blessing to his children. It's incredible. God is victorious. So let me just tell you contextually, this is what would have happened in David's day. If David went out to fight a battle, and if he was victorious, if he won a battle, do you know what they would have done? Those people that were captives, they would have brought them back to their own city, he would have brought them back to their own courts, and they would have made them sit on the edge and watch the victory banquet. They would have been sitting reluctantly watching the celebration of their defeat. And this is what David is saying. When he's saying, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David sees the shepherds as victorious over sin. Victorious over it. God has and he is and he will demonstrate his goodness before and in full view of our enemies. We know that one day every knee will bow, every tongue confess. We know that even Satan himself would have to stand there and just say, he was God all along. 
we get to celebrate in the victory of what Jesus has already done over the situations in our lives. The other thing I want us to realise about this imagery of a table set before us is that it speaks of covenant. Because again, in David's day, if if David made an agreement, if if David made an oath with someone, the way that you would, uh, almost a token of that oath would be, you come to my house and you sit at my table. And we share bread and we share the cup. And this is our, it kind of signifies that we are together in this. This is our oath. This is our agreement. And what David is saying in this song is, man, God has invited us to his table. He has invited us into a covenant relationship with him. He says, you share my bread. You share my cup. It is overflowing. And some of these things we could miss when we just read it. We just say, oh, he's a God of abundance. He is, but he's also a God of covenant. And he's also a victorious shepherd that has actually won victory over every situation in our lives that would want to steal that from us. It means so much more. David sees the shepherd not just as a means of receiving life and restoration, not even just as a means of guidance and power and support. He sees God as a God of covenant and relationship. Togetherness with. It's incredible. It's like pure oxygen, isn't it? Is it doing your soul good? It's good, isn't it? There's just one more key to this passage. If we're not careful, we could miss it altogether. And I think the key to this passage is actually found in Psalm 22. Interestingly. I think the key question is, who's the shepherd? I don't know what you would have thought when I just said, who's the good shepherd? What you would have said or who you would have said. But Psalm 22 is another song. But Psalm 22 isn't a song for us to sing. It was a song for someone else to sing. I just want to quickly read some of that to you. Why don't you just close your eyes, and I just want you to think about who would have sang this song. Psalm 22, verse 1 says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 6, I am a worm, And not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Verse 8. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him if he delights in him. Verse 14. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Verse 15. My strength is dried up. My tongue sticks to my jaw. Verse 16, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Verse 26, hallelujah, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. And the very last verse, verse 31, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness for he has done it. It is finished. That's another song. Do you know what? You may not have realized that in the temple courts they would have had like a songbook and Psalm 22, 23 and 24 would have been together. They would have been sung almost together. We can only sing Psalm 23 today because someone else sang Psalm 22. It wasn't us, and it wasn't David. He didn't have his nails pierced through his hands and and a spear in his side. He didn't have his clothes cast out for lots. 
Another person did. The good shepherd did. And that good shepherd is Jesus. It's Jesus. You see, that song is not for us to sing. It was for one person to sing, and that was Jesus. And, and this is why, tragically, this is probably one of the most familiar but misunderstood passages of the Bible. Because you would have lots of non-Christian funerals, people reading this as though it's a kind of a token of comfort in their situation. But actually, it's only in Christ, it's only in the Good Shepherd that we receive all of these things. Not realising that it's only because Jesus passed through the shadow of death and came through the other side, that the following chapter we can sing, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because I know the story started with a man, Jesus, who died and rose again and is victorious over it. Do you you understand the significance of Psalm 22 when we read Psalm 23? If we take it away, we just think God's just a nice guy. No, Jesus is the good shepherd that has done all of the things necessary that we can come into still waters that we can come into restoration with him. It's interesting that Jesus actually starts, uh, the crucifixion story, he starts with the, the first verse of Psalm 22, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you notice that? See how Jesus is actually using that psalm for himself. And Jesus' enemies fulfilled Psalm 22 when they mocked him as he died, when they actually unwittingly quoted from the verse in Psalm 22 and said, hey, if you trust in God, let him come down and rescue him. And it was fulfilled in verse 12 when they surrounded him like beasts of prey, dislocated his joints through crucifixion, refused to quench his terrible thirst, and then cast lots for his clothing. David wrote this psalm for Jesus to sing from the cross 2,000 years ago so that us today can sing in Psalm 23. (laughs) He's done it. It is finished. The truth is that all of us, whether you like to think of yourself as this or not, we're all sheep. And the Bible says we were all lost. We were all far from him. The only reason we can sing Psalm 23 is because Jesus became that lost sheep that slain lamb, that sacrifice so that we can come into the fold. And that's why we do de- baptisms. You know, in a bit we're going to be, so people are going to be getting in a pool and going down in the pool. What it, what it represents is a demonstration that God has taken our place. We are with him. We go down into the pit. We go down into the tomb in death with Christ. And because he has come up victorious on the other side, us in him, we get to live eternally with him. We get to say, forever I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Sin dealt with at the cross. We can only sing about the Lord being our shepherd because he first became the lamb that was slaughtered in our place. And I love that the verse 31, the final verse of Psalm 22, Jesus uses that as his victory line. He says, He has done it. Or in other words, translated, it is finished. Isn't that wonderful? He starts with Psalm 22 and he finishes with Psalm 22. Why, God, have you forsaken me? But it is finished. We can only lie down in green pastures because Jesus lay down in the dust of death. We can only find rest for our souls this morning because Jesus found no rest when he bore the punishment that we deserve. We can only drink from still waters because he 
bore our thirst. We have no need to fear evil in the shadow of death because he has passed through and defeated death before we even get there. And we can dwell in the Father's house forevermore because he chose to leave the Father's house and be abandoned by him in your place. I'm just going to finish with this. Phil Moore says this. He says, enjoy Psalm 23. But enjoy it for the right reasons in all its fullness. Through the gospel you will have many trials, but you will lack nothing as Jesus leads you through them. Through the gospel you may make enemies, but David promises that God will vindicate you, anoint you with the oil of the Holy Spirit, and bless you until you're blessed no more. Through the gospel you'll be pursued and persecuted, but David promises that God's goodness and covenant mercy will pursue you even harder, both in this life and forevermore. This is the goodness of the good shepherd, the blood-drenched, sacrificial shepherd, actually. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me or pursue you all the days of your life. Why don't you stand? Band, we're going to come up. Jesus, we want to thank you that you are our good shepherd. Lord, we want to thank you that the reason that we can live beside still waters, the reason that we don't need to fear death, the reason that we are going to live forever in your house is because you took our place. And we just want to say, Jesus, we love you. We want to say, Lord, it does us good to remind ourselves of how you have done it all. And today we declare aloud, our soul is well. That we lack no good thing, not because of the situations we find ourselves in, not because of the the debt or the illness or anything else, but because our lot is in you and you alone and you are a good shepherd and you have done it all. So Lord, I just pray, would you come and reveal yourself to us Anyone who is here that doesn't know, I pray, would you reveal your truth to them today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. He's good, isn't he? Come on, let's worship him together. I think generally children started to come back, but if you've got children in tots or energy, it would be great if you can go and get them during this song, because we'd love for them to join us as we do baptisms with the guys in a few minutes. Is that okay? Fantastic. Let's sing this song.